It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Inter-promotional shows we indeed had not done, and I found two to share, and he had quite the reaction to these two shows. So, let's welcome Mr. John Dinsdale. How are we doing, sir? I'm all right, slightly melted because it is unfavorably warm, but hey, we got wrestling, we got podcasting to do. Let's get to indeed. It. Now, I should say, you know, it is. Um, it is a Forbidden Door weekend, and I was on the media call for Forbidden Door uh, for a new project that both me and John are involved with uh, for Worldwide Wrestling. Um, and thanks to our editor-in-chief, Steph Frenchham, I was allowed onto the um, pre-show video, pre-show uh, media call, and it is exactly how you think it is. It's like all the people you follow on Twitter asking questions. Sean Ross South has a question. Dave Bix has a question. Dave Meltzer asked the question, everybody holds their breath. <laughs> and, and yeah, it is exactly as, as I described. If you go to the uh, 3 w Wrestling um, Twitter page, you can find it at 3W Wrestling. Um, and it's coming soon. There's a YouTube channel we have as well called youtube.com slash at 3W-Wrestling. And we have a website, www-wrestling.com. Uh, worldwide wrestling, as you can probably tell. Uh, projects are ongoing. We're developing as we speak, are we not, John? Yeah, we are basically in planning stages, but we've got social media presence. We've got a site coming soon. And of course, if you were a fan of the old steel chair days, then most of the people you enjoyed there are coming back with a fucking vengeance. So We, we, we just kind of all migrated away from one thing and onto another. <laughs> Not so much as we fired, we just all kind of left en masse and then reformed somewhere else. We're like a transformer or something. Anywho, um, but yes, myself and John will be editing on that particular project soon. So the shows, which I've held off, I've done a big reel here. Um, we are going to look at two shows. We're going to look at FMW Year End Sensation 1998, which was a co-promotion with ECW of all people. Um, and the thing is, what it says on the actual show and what happened on the video are two completely different things. So we're going to have to like, kind of like, um, how can we put this? Uh, arrange things, because some things happened on the show that we didn't see on the video. I'm sure we didn't. We'll look at it in a bit anyway. Um, and we're also going to look at FWA versus All-Star Wrestling from 2006 at the Morecambe Lancashire Morecambe Dome. Uh, featuring wrestlers from All-Star Wrestling and from the FWA in pretty much a, a seminal show for the English rest, British wrestling industry. Um, obviously, you can guess which one more excited that, that which one was, that John was more excited about. It would be the FMW show. So we're going to start with that one. I'm going to share our screen so we can watch it as we talk. Um, so this show is from 1998, which isn't an era of FMW we've concentrated on too much because we've concentrated more on the early days of FMW, the Anita days of FMW. Now, Anita was involved in this promotion at this particular point, but was on his way out, as it were. 
so this was an intriguing kind of, by the way, it's 28 degrees here, so I'm, I'm drinking Coke, I do apologise. Um, it was an intriguing show, which involved the, um, I'm looking at the wrong page, uh, involved the over-the-top tournament, um, which had been ongoing and had some famous names in um, that we know and love. So when I give you these two shows, let's start with the FMW show. What was your thoughts when I said, hey, let's look at this? Of FMW, and obviously 1998 is the sort of sweet spot where it's like post or knee to death match careers and pre like entertainment era. So you've still got this sort of pseudo gritty violence, but they're sort of leaning away into trying to become more sustainable. They've got the partnership with ECW. There's just all sorts. It's it's another sort of good point before it gets too bad <laughs> um, yeah and there's some big names who are big names in the industry these days on these particular shows as well this is a Corrigan Hall it was on Direct TV yes they had a deal with Direct TV this is hilarious I know but it's true um, and it started with an over the top tournament quarter final match Tetsuhiro Kuroda defeated Mohamed Yone that Mohamed Yone of the Afro and of the Disconus and um, you know no longer it was um, blonde and spiky here yeah he was pre-afro though his wrestling attire had a certain level of funk about it he was he was still a shooter back in these days this was in his battle arts days so um this was an intriguing watch and corona was much more in the fmw mode um what were your thoughts on this one john i'm gonna wind it it's, just fun. it's like it was quite fun seeing like yonne in like pre-Funky Express days, shooting on Kuroda, who we've obviously covered a lot of, because mm. he's one of like FMW's guys, and it's just like, yeah, it's this entertaining, yet still pretty brutal sort of styles clash. Very much so. I mean, it, it is, Kuroda is kind of like a traditional King's Road wrestler, though he throws in a bit of shoot style to kind of catch up with Young Yone. Um, Yone has got flared pants at this particular point in his career, although he's in shoot shoes and there's an awful alarm bars going on um, and leg kicks. But this is this is a lot of fun. This particular match, I enjoyed it um, just because it's like seeing Yone, young Yone. We've, we've me and me and Dara experienced a bit of young Yone on a battle life show we watched not long ago, which was another cross promotional affair. I think it was with Osaka Pro. Um, but yeah, this is kind of like showing where F and W were at. We're Currican Hall, packed house still, at Currican Hall. But there were some big names on the show as well. So it was uh, for the opener. They had a good crowd. It went really well. Um, and Corroda advanced in the tournament. Um, next up, we had the, the late lamented Mister Hido, or Masa, um, Bad Boy Hido, as, as he was known, going up against Masahayo Arihara, which was the next match on the card. Arihara was a junior heavyweight with a penchant for being a bit rough and cheating, did like his PVC. Um, if you're into that kind of thing, this is the match for you. Um, and Bad Boy Hedo is Bad Boy Hedo. It really, you need no, need no say no more. He's, he's as tough as nails, takes a good bump, and hits people really hard. That's about all you need, really, to know. And Arihara is kind of on top for most of this match. Um, essentially just by cheating his way through, though he does have some good strike offense and some good wrestling skills. So this is a, another stash, clash of styles. 
<laughs> some big palm strikes as well. What did you think of this one, John? Oh, that brain this is great. I love it when you've just got two like vicious bastards in a match. Like obviously, Bad Boy Hero was in his sort of nice affairs at this point. So Orihara is just being like top dickhead. And it's hilarious that he essentially could have probably won this match if he didn't want to get a bloody chair involved. Yeah, this is it. It's, you know, if, well, I guess Hido wasn't bad boy Hido at this point. He was a member of Team No Respect, who was the big heel faction at the time that had just come over from um, uh, Tenerife's promotion. War, that was it. Because that Jado Gado and Fuji had come over from War. Fuji was essentially lead booker for the company at this particular point or on his way to becoming lead booker and um, yeah, um, Hido was kind of in that particular faction so it was interesting to see how they worked out also it was really yeah, cool somehow like, he's the good guy in this match cause he's, yeah, because he's bad boy Hido and that's alright <laughs> interesting, they had a light box display at the top of the, the roof at Currican Hall um, and all of the sponsors and factions had their own so there's like a direct TV um, sign that's lit up in internal illumination. There's an FMW sign and there's a Team No Respect sign as well. Um, and there's an awful lot of low blows in this match, including the referee. There's a lot of low blows in this card, to be honest. Yeah. There was a theme. But anywho. I think the heavens have opened up outside. It's not happened here, but we live like 200 miles away from you, so. <laughs> it's rained a little bit on the wood driving home for I don't know, myself and Mr. Simon Heath uh, was went to Sheffield this afternoon ostensibly to find Simon a base we didn't find a base as we discovered because we picked completely the wrong day as most of the music shops in Sheffield are shut anywho we had a nice time oh yeah it um, is pissing it down out there <laughs> um, and as a result of that um, why did he turn around? I was just watching again. It's like he, he did actually manage to do a low blow to the referee by turning around and kicking him in the nether regions, and the timekeeper just like disqualified him straight away. Um, intriguing. And then there's another low blow, and that's it. It's all over. I suppose he's keeping his heat, but he had this match won, really. Which is a bit strange, but there you go. But he's not Hedo. He's too much of a bad boy. Indeed. There you go. There's some semantics there. Next, we went up to the big match of the first round because it was Yukihiro Kanemura, wider, more widely known at the time as Wing Garamore Kanemura, going up against Mr. Ganesuke. Uh, Mr. Ganesuke um, was ostensibly a babyface, um, and Kanemura was ostensibly a heel because he'd come in from Wing. Um, and so this was a bit of an odd matchup because Kanemura is massively popular even though he's a bad guy. And Ganesuke is massively popular because he's one of the originals of the company, even though they both wrestled for IWA and Wing separately at different points as well. It's a bit of an odd match, this match. But they're brilliant both incredibly it, it, workers. It, it, they're both brilliant workers. So therefore, it just works. It's just a bloody, hideously brutal brawl. <laughs> it's so good. They're just breaking tables, breaking chairs, busting each other open and just trying to kill each other. It's like good old FMW. I think the thing is, I think the thing is, well, and what we miss, and a lot of people miss, is the fact that Genesis and Kanemura could really work. 
And they didn't need all the whistles and bells. They could have a regular wrestling match and people would still care about them because they were good character wrestlers and they had loads of charisma. Um, yes, this match is very violent. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, it's carried by their ability, though. Yeah, there was a lot it. of like interlocking wrestling, and obviously you've got to give a shit about the wrestlers in the first place, which people clearly do, because they are both massive characters yeah. and massively popular. That's the thing, and it, it, it is just... It, it's fun to watch, because it's just like that they're really into it, and it's really... It's just really good. Who did I see diving off that not, balcony the other day? What to do this, by the way, because he doesn't... Oh, got it. It's, it's a leg drop. I thought he did a body attack. But it's not no, just no. how he lands makes it look like a body attack. No, that's it. No, it, this this was and this went on for quite some time, which was remarkable because like ten minutes fifty three seconds for this kind of match is really long because they were really going for it. It was they weren't pulling an awful lot back because obviously it was a big match. It was one of the big matches of the of this this particular round. But yeah, no, this was good and well worth watching as well. Did you try and put the table back together again? It's it's so goddamn bloody, but it's so goddamn fun. Oh, yeah, they always end up split open. We're taking a wide shot at the moment, presumably to give Gansuke time to get blading, because he does. Um, and he's up and bloody, and then Kanemura's bleeding later on. Kanemura's eating a table at one point in this match. <laughs> it's just so goddamn good, carried by two guys that are just tough enough to sort of take this vicious a beating. Well, it had to happen because it's these two guys. It's kind of like they've got reputations to protect, and that's the issue, isn't it? Yeah, it's, true. One of them yeah. has to lose, so it's got to be like the lose, most so... convincing loss of all time. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's like they're both big fan favourites, even though they're in different factions. And as a result of that... Um... If you just can't not laugh at the sheer just outrageous like violence beating that's going on here yeah there's nothing glamorous about it it's just pure hatred in a match and this is it you know i mean they're working these are these are work punches and headbutts but they're very stiff work punches and headbutts um, never guess looking at it unless you knew what you were looking for no exactly but they, you know, they're doing the, they're doing an awful lot of the bump work by staying out of each other's way a lot. But yes, but it gives the impression of just being super violent because it is um, throwing tables at him. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, just drop tables on him. That's the thing. Uh, and but after the beating that Gennesky gets, he takes the win <laughs> in ten minutes and fifty two seconds, which is. A really good performance considering this match. Um, but yeah. Pretty sure it's with a roll up as well. Just, yeah. you know, again, like nobody is hurt in a roll up. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Right we, in the fucking head. Yeah, but it's kind of more like he bounces. I was going to say, if you don't hit him hard, he's just going to kill you. He's like Mr. Pogo. If you don't fight, if you fight like a pussy, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the next match. Um, which is nowhere near as violent. <laughs> which is odd, considering the people involved it. So, there is a bit of a highlight reel of um, da -da 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 -da, Fuyuki going up against uh, 
Hisakasi Oya. Now, we've watched a lot of Oya matches in the past, and Oya had always worn pants, was always a heel, and was always kind of in a lot of street fights, either going up against Anita as a member of different teams. Um, and here, they've kind of started to turn him babyface, and he's clearly getting a push throughout this tournament. Um, and the fact that he beats Fuyuki in the first round is obviously you know, a good start, because he was like, Fuyuki's the leader of Team No Respect, that's a, a big feather in his cap. Um, and then here, he's going up against Hayabusa, and Hayabusa was the big star of the company at the time. He was the big baby face star. Um, oh my god, it's a thunderstorm. Oh dear. You're going to be alright? Oh hell yeah. <laughs> um, oh. Sorry, so I... I know you don't want intermittent weather reports. It's just if my mic picks any of this shit up, it's thunder. There is not an explosion going on outside my house. Your mic very rarely picks any extraneous noises, though, to be honest with you. Except for like when people are drilling next door. But apart from that. Anywho. Hayabusa uh, is in this match with Oya, and um, yeah, this is really good. Probably a bit long, though. Even though it's 13 minutes long, it seemed to go on forever. I don't know why I found this a bit draggy. But... I think it's purely because of the style both have gone for. Obviously, when you see Hayabusa, there's usually a bit more explosivity to it. Obviously, yeah. you can't do that as much against Oya, considering Oya's a ground... She just twats him off the bat. <laughs> but yeah. It's a very grounded technical match that you don't really see kick into another gear until like the sort of ending spree. Yeah, I mean, and even it, then, it's sort of cut off by Oya because he's still trying to be a twat. Yeah, I mean, you, well, I mean, no, he's not trying to be a twat though. I don't think he is. He's trying to win. I don't think he, he's not a heel like he used to be. He's just a guy who's trying to win, and I think that's a big character change for him compared to some of the matches we've seen him in where he's been driven by, you know, greed or hatred or whatever. But in these particular matches, this particular match, he's just trying to win. Like here, you know. It is a very all you win, though. It's not a case of, oh, I'm going to do something, like, explosive and exciting. It's, I'm rolling you up and I'm winning. <laughs> yeah. It's very on brand. It is. And it's much more technically sound than what we're used to, because normally he's kind of big and brawly and stuff. Um, and he obviously throws a mean suplex but this is kind of like more of a pure wrestling kind of experience it's not because he's not not a raging heel he's just a guy who's trying to win this tournament it's more interesting to watch i feel but i don't think hayabusa is the right opponent for him though they had to do something with hayabusa to go him out the way because they couldn't have him winning the tournament for obvious reasons because he's the big star and he needs to wrestle other people sometimes (laughs) he can't win everything all the time big moment to be like oh shit oh you're going all the way yeah this is that sort of oh shit moment yeah well yeah you're right and there is a loads of technical stuff in it but it's not it's not as slick as it could be and then all you're trying to stifle high booster which is obviously tactically correct because you want to take the arguably the best player high flyer in wrestling at the time off his feet but that doesn't necessarily make it a most enjoyable match to watch, even though it's a good story to tell. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it could have just benefited from being three minutes shorter. Yeah. Like, you could have still kept all of this in, just sort of trimmed a little bit of the fat, maybe cut down some of the sequences just so it wasn't as overly bloated. But I suppose with it being the last quarterfinal match with arguably the two biggest sort of draws in it, it's like, yeah. 
are two of the biggest draws, should I say. Hayabusa, without a doubt. I can't, I don't know Oya's. Like, it, it was on, on his way up. The last time we saw him, he was on his way up, but he wasn't at the top of the card. I think this was probably kind of cementing his rise to the top of the card. It kind of just had to be the big, like the longest match, purely because it was the last one, really, didn't it? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's well worth a watch, though. Out of all of these things, it's good watching wrestling, but it's just, it just takes a while. Next up was Team No Respect. That'd be. Um, Jedo, as in, you know, friggin' Jedo. Aramachu Fuyuki, his mentor and leader of Team Respect, and Koji Nakagawa. Going up against Flying Kid Ichihara, Mickey Fuji, and the Super Over Babyface, White Meat Babyface, Super Leather. Yes, Super Leather, as in, you know, former couple coach of uh, Rick Patterson, who sadly passed away recently, but also, you know, assaulted someone um, in the ring in Japan and did two years for. Uh, assault. Anywho, <laughs> yeah, because he's you know the ideal babyface uh, playing um, an impersonation of a of, of a cinematic mass murderer. Anywho, <laughs> as you can imagine, that babyfaceness didn't last for very long. Pretty much to the end of this particular matchup, as the superior teamwork skills of no team, no respect, took out playing kid Ichihara. Uh, sadly, in the end. Though Gado is showing signs of his rainmaker manager world class tag team uh, look in the Latino kind of um, check shirt bandana kind of deal, because he would basically have this look for the next oh, 15 years, 98, 2008, yeah, no, about 20 years, to be honest, up until leaving Okada and joining Bullet Club. Because this was kind of such an odd little contest because it lasts two minutes and it's literally just flying Kid Ichihara getting the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. By the Yuki. <laughs> like the other four. Sorry, the other. Yeah, the other four people just didn't need to be here. No. It's like, oh yeah, just let those two get kicked out. Yep, we're done. Well, and then Super Leather goes on an absolute massacre because, you know, you can't be a leather face without a bit of a massacre. Well, true, but I mean, that's the whole reason for this match is so that Leatherface can get frustrated with Ichihara for losing and thus turn heel again. So I suppose it does, I suppose in one sense, yes, they do need to be there, but they don't really need to be there for, for the actual purpose of the match. The purpose of the story, which is like, like we said, this sweet spot where it's going more into an entertainment direction, um, this is where things are starting to come off the rails a little bit because these ma- this match only exists for two purpose for each story. It doesn't exist as a match within itself, does it? I do get some peak for Yuki though, which is always fun. It is, yeah. We've kind through. of said everything we need to say, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, because we're, like, we're, ma- we're watching it the match hasn't even started yet. <laughs> so. The match ends quickly and then Leatherface kills Ichihara and threatens to kill Ricky Fuji. And that's it. And that's pretty much it. So we'll move on to the next one. Um, there's a bit of a show. Isn't the... on... Sorry? This isn't on the tape, weirdly enough. No, the next match that's listed on that particular night was Shane Douglas versus Tommy Dreamer for the ECW World's Heavyweight Championship, which apparently lasted 12 minutes and 8 seconds, and unsurprisingly, Shane Douglas won. But that's not on the tape. <laughs> on the tape, there's a promo with Shane Douglas and with Francine. 
And the actual match is Ghetto, who we've just seen wrestle in the previous match. So I'm presuming it's from a different night. Wrestling Shane was for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. And to be honest, Gado, she gives a good showing of himself and is, despite being on the lead heels in the company at the time, a baby face for this match because, you know, he's FMW and Shane Douglas is ECW. So there we go. But kind of as two classic stylists going up against each other. And there's a cool little story of Shane going for a leapfrog um, and landing awkwardly on his leg. So Ghetto goes after the leg, and that's the story of the match. It's a classic kind of 70s wrestling match, to be honest with you, or even a classic 80s wrestling match of take the body part apart and distract the referee and hit him with a chair. <laughs> but it's FMW rules. It's a great so it's reminder that Shane cool. Douglas can actually wrestle. Oh, yeah. Shane Douglas was awesome in this particular time period. Like, I don't understand why he wasn't the massive star in WWE, apart from, you know, his political mind not being necessarily what it was. But his, his yeah, running ECW was outstanding. His running WCW yeah, wasn't bad, but the issue the issue had in WCW was Flair was still influential in WCW and he can't stand Douglas. So that was that. Yeah. This just makes for a great little match, really. There's a lot of technicality, there's a lot of like sneaky brutality, and obviously Shane Douglas being Shane Douglas. Which, yeah. if you love that sort of thing, which a lot of us do, then yeah, you're in for a treat. It's a classic ECW World Heavyweight Championship match from this particular era, just with a different opponent. And Ghetto is experienced enough to milk it for all it's possibly worth. It's thoroughly entertaining and well worth a watch. Yes, definitely. But that wasn't the match that was happening on that night. So I'm assuming it's from a different night, possibly on that tour. It went on for we quite some time. The other ECW. The other ECW match listed didn't happen either. No, the other ECW match was the Dudley Boys versus Rob Van Dam and Sabu um, for the title. And in fact, Rob Van Dam and Sabu took the championships. And if I remember correctly, defin- defended them. Or this must have happened. When did this happen? Because the, there was the big show that summer was... Um, yeah, the big show that summer was... Uh, uh, Heatwave 98 and Gan- um, Hayabusa and um, Jinsei Zaki wrestled Rob Van Dam and Sabu on that card and the Dudleys defended the titles against um, Spike Dudley and Balls Mahoney and Spike and Balls took the championship so I'm wondering if Rob and Rob and Sabu took the titles here because this, I'm not sure when this was to be honest. What's the date for this? Because that happened in August. And this happened in December of 98. So they must have gotten back off balls and spike at that point to defend them. But they lose them to Rob Van Damme and Chango, Rob Van Damme and Sabu at this particular show. I'd have to look into the title reigns, but it's a bit odd timeline wise. And these matches are a bit odd. But the match that we get instead is Rob Van Damme and Sabu versus Tommy Dreamer and Hayabusa, which is which a is great. <laughs> it's great, but also a bit weird. And it's every bit as chaotic as you'd expect. A lot of car crash moments. Oh, yeah, and Tommy's <laughs> losing. <laughs> yeah. Without a doubt, Tommy's losing. But, like, at least in this match, he goes down swinging. True. Um, yeah, him and Sandman used to fight over who would get pinned in matches in ECW. 
bizarrely, because um, they believed it was better for the company if they lost all the time. And it's like, true, but then if you never beat anybody, then, you know, eh. Anywho, this does remind me of that match with Hayabusa and Shinsei Sinzaki in the sense of that match was a bunch of high spots and there was nothing else to it. It was just literally high spots from beginning to end. This one has a bit more of a story to it, but it's still largely a bunch of high spots. Um, high spots and table crashes. Yeah. It's good fun. Yeah, Again, yeah. It, it might not have the most substance to it, but you can enjoy it for what it is. So we were not going down with the hottest tag team in the world at the time. Um, there's no real argument to that. Whether their matches were all-time classics or not, on moves they were, on story, I'm not sure. But equally, they had Bill Alfonso. And Bill Alfonso, a good match was a great match. And a great match was an outstanding match. Because Alfonso is doing a lot of work in this match. I could watch Sabu wrestle for so, like for hours. Mm. Maybe not continue, like different matches, obviously, not watch, wrestle the same match for hours. But you know what I mean? He's just so good to watch. He is so fun. He's so chaotic. And it's just, it, he's like peak ECW. It's like Sabu versus Hayabusa is just a really good sort of pairing because you're just watching two maniacs that proudly represent their co- like company go to yeah. war. <laughs> <laughs> And potentially eat shit as Jesus Christ. <laughs> what John just saw was Tommy Dreamer taking a Van Terminator uh, to the face with a table as uh, Sabu held the table. And what we're going to watch now is Sabu trying to break Hayabusa through a table, only he didn't set the table up properly, so it's at a bit of an angle. As a result of that, the table won't break the way he wants to. And this goes on for about five minutes. <laughs> Again, that's so perfectly Sabu, because he's always gone on record as saying sometimes he fucked up intentionally to mess with people, and sometimes shit just didn't go right because he's so lost in the moment. Yeah, but essentially what happened is because he didn't get the leg straight when he put the table up, it therefore had no breaking points. It became a lot more bouncy. And amazingly, Hayabusa was like still stranded mode. So when he dropped dropped the leg on it, it didn't break. And then he tries it again. And Fonzie actually holds the table still and holds Hayabusa, trying to be as kind as he possibly can be to Hayabusa, whilst the referee is just giving in. Um, and then the table kind of breaks, oh, but not great. as well as not great. And I think Hayabusa landed with Sabu's ass in his face. And Again, yeah. that's great one. Yeah. Really great but let us move on. Super Leather is then accompanying Mr. Gamasuke uh, for the next match, which was um, the semi-final of the tournament. Mr. Gamasuke against Bad Boy Hido from uh, Team No Respect. Um, and there was a bit of respect between Gamasuke and uh, Super Leather, and that's where this match really kicks off. And this actually was pretty damn good. I enjoyed this um, because it was shorter, to be honest with you. And I think they packed a lot more into a very short period of time. And it wasn't as violent as it could have been. And that actually made it more enjoyable from my point of view, because it was more about explaining what was going on with the characters. And Ganesuke and Hido were really good at that. And it showed their strengths. They just didn't have to slice and dice all the time to make it work. And so that's why I enjoyed it. 
Would you agree? It's a really action-packed two and a half minutes. Yeah. I suppose there isn't an awful lot of time to get violent in two and a half minutes, is there? <laughs> no, they just kind of... They're working to out-grapple each other and, like, just, like, destroy each other in, like, non-violent ways. And obviously, Ganeske comes out on top. Yeah, he was, well, Ganeske was the better Matt wrestler by a long way. Ido's a great brawler, but he's, like, like up on Ganeske's level when it comes to mat work and stuff like that, I don't think. Few people were, though. Ganeske was really underrated as a mat wrestler. Oh, definitely. But again, that's kind of the stigma of, like, when you work in what is essentially viewed as a deathmatch company. Mm. It happens with modern wrestlers all the time who are, like, exceptional technicians that just can't get away from the stigma of, oh, you do deathmatches. It's like, yeah, and he'll probably out-wrestle you. (laughs) Well, Ganeske was was trained by Tarzan Goto and um, Giant Baba. You know, he was... was higher level, you know, as far as, like, training was concerned, because he was an all Japan guy who took the chance and went with Goto and probably supercharged his career by doing so, you know, and then was sensible enough to stick with Goto when Goto went to wing, um, but knew, like, when his time was ready to shine, so when Goto didn't go back to FMW, um, Ganesuke did, and there was a ready-made feud waiting for him there with Hayabusa, and they would always have that forever story. So John Cena eat your heart out. Yeah, true. That's the real STF. <laughs> We're watching Bad Boy uh, applying an STF to Ganeske. He eventually gets the pinfall victory over Hedo in short order. Two minutes, 22 seconds. We could probably watch the end of this match, but it didn't seem to take that long. Um, and then Super Lola comes in to save Ganeske and um, give Hedo a bit of a kick in. And there is a... Uh, a con- there is a... Uh, a conversation held between Ganeske and Hedo at the end of this match. Uh, I always sorry. love like the old school like bandage job where it just looks like they've duct taped a piece of paper to the red. It's because they duct taped a piece of paper to the red. But anywho, we don't we don't need proper medical. So then again, I can't talk. I used to just tape up workplace cuts. So. <laughs> But yes, let us move on to the main event of the evening. The main event of the evening was, indeed, uh, as we mentioned, Tetsuhiro Karudo, if you remember back at the beginning of this show, um, going up against Itsukasiya for the semi-final of the Over the Top tournament. This was the best match on the card. The fans were so into this, which were two guys who weren't like the top stars in the company. I'll tell you how good this match was. This was just exceptional. It's what it's a missing FMW classic, and it's just because and a lot of it is down to the fact the fans are really hyped up for the match because they've been there all night. They're doing things that people haven't done before, and are still kind of stand with stay staple Kurukan Hall things today. Like we're just watching uh, Corrado just like run down the um, aisle on the big stand side at Kurukan Hall, which was probably one of the first times anyone had done that. Um, the brawling out in the crowd, and then it goes down to a, a final series of reversals, and it was it's so back and forth in that final series, the fans had no choice but just to get behind it, and they popped for every near fall, and it was an actual wrestling classic. I really enjoyed this. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I have no complaints. It's, again, peak FMW hybridness. There's a nice range of street fighting, technicality, and just all-out madness. 
Oya's in his element, Kuroda's in his element. It's just, yeah, great fun and probably outside of Ganesuke and Kanemura, the best match on this card. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, mean, I think possibly it's going to be my preference because it's pure wrestling match. There's no real violence in it. Well, not like blood violence in it. It's just a good wrestling match. So I think it's just my preference. And you'll have your preference, of course. And in the best of these all possible worlds, that's the way to go forward. <laughs> so we're going to swap over so I'm going to uh, change cars now I described this uh, to John as the sublime to the ridiculous <laughs> because um, well why not because it is the sublime and the ridiculous so I wanted a co-promotional card now back in the early 2000s there was such a thing as um, the British Wrestling Inter-Promotional Championship um, which was a tournament um, which um, was held, was a championship that was held between companies. So one company would challenge for it and there would be um, uh, a, a tournament night event where there would be a series of matches and on the, out of those series of matches, um, a champion would be crowned on a point system. So you got a point for a win, um, and then um, there was a, an elimination match at the end of the night and you got two points for every man that stays on. So it was a real kind of thriller thing to go towards the end of the show. Um, this one was FWA versus All Star. It's from Morecambe Dome, 13th of May, 2006, so literally 13 years ago, which isn't that long ago in the wrestling scheme of things. And there were some really big names on this show, um, especially for wrestling, British wrestling at the time and for international wrestling ever since. Some of these guys have gone on to WWE. Some of them still work for WWE. <laughs> so it's interesting, this particular match and this particular card. What was your thoughts on this one, John, when I said, hey, let's do FWA versus All-Star Wrestling? I honestly didn't know who you were on about. <laughs> British wrestling history. Well, sorry. Not your strong point. 2000s British wrestling history is not necessarily my strong point. I can talk you through the earlier stuff but like anything before 2010 when I sort of really came back to sort of my scene of wrestling if you want to call it that is just like a bit of a blur so you're like oh we're gonna do FWA and All-Star and I'm like I recognize some of the names on the card but I couldn't have told you either of these companies yeah. and I just the second I heard the announcements and the first lines of commentary from the show I knew I was in for the most British thing of all time because they were opening <laughs> talking about football results yes that's it the, the opening is is talking about Liverpool winning the, the FA Cup that particular day I think they did the double that year um, and it is they're, they're trying to like you know FWA was kind of like trying to be a mainstream product and they were really going to be, they were really trying to be a mainstream product. But essentially, you know, Alex Shane and, and Greg Lambert, who ran this promotion, would be sort of the leading voices behind what would become World Sport Wrestling on ITV, or WS as it would be called on ITV. And um, they were kind of like in that mindset of making it a media company. And the fact that this card is going up against All Star is, is fairly obvious. But it's also the fact that All-Star were the ideal company to do this kind of thing with because they were the establishment. 
you know, they, they've been around forever. And we are going to do an entire show about Brian Dixon at some point. But this was a good place to kind of reference it because, you know, um, we're trying to kind of like the efforts of Brian Dixon, specifically the people he kind of put in on the attitudes that they had at the time. There was um, uh, a kind of feeling from the all-star camp that they were a real British wrestling promotion in the sense of they did things in the traditional way that was still Mount Evans rules, public warnings and all of those things, whereas FWA kind of adopted American rules to their own kind of end. They were kind of running Ring of Honor rules. They ran yellow cards instead of public warning. So if you got two yellow cards, you were disqualified to give it kind of more of a mainstream feel. And they kind of played around with the rules a little bit. Um, they banned pile drivers, for instance, for storyline purposes, essentially. Um, because then, you know, like the old Memphis days, and in Lucha Libre, the pile driver is banned for not necessarily for practical reasons. It's banned, well, in Mexico it is, because rings used to be as stiff as out down there, and you need to drop people on the head. But um, in Memphis, it's banned because the pile driver may damn near kill a man. Um, well, spoiler alert. But um, that's the reason why they banned it in the FWA, is the, the more rules you have and the more restrictions you have, the better chance you have of, like, you know, creating storyline tension, which which you, and whereas All-Star was kind of like the antithesis of that, it was wrestling matches for the sake of having wrestling matches. Even though Brian Dixon had been one of the leading lights of change in the British wrestling industry, he brought women into the industry more prominently, he did more storyline-based stuff in the 80s than, um, say, uh, joint promotions would ever have allowed or even considered um he did all sorts of things that got complaints on tv he had kendo nagasaki hypnotized robbie brookside one day and there were complaints about that because it was dabbling in the dark arts um it was a different wrestling world that we were dealing with in all-star in the 1980s essentially they were the fwa of the 1980s and then fwa come along and they're kind of what doing what all-star were doing but all-star were the tradition and there's one point on this show where Robert Brookside says Brian Dixon is the most successful professional wrestling promoter that Britain has ever produced. And he's absolutely right, he was. Um, so that's kind of the background. The show opens with an academy match between Chris Egan and Dave Rain um, of the Future Shock Wrestling School, um, which um, goes through no contest with Mark Sloan and Ollie Burns of the FWA Wrestling School. And this was fun while it lasted. And then the All-Star team came down and interrupted and it became... Eh. <laughs> Just kind of ran out of steam because it was all about an angle, really. What did you think of this whilst it was lasting? I did like that it opened with, like, just powder in the eyes. Like, no subtlety. It's just instantly witch-eating bastards. It's... <laughs> it's a very fun way to start a match. And then, yeah, it's just you sort of good old British wrestling match. There's a lot of enjoyable sort of back and forth grappling, striking, and just what people have come to associate with British wrestling. Minus the nonces. <laughs> well, um, there was a couple of people, more specifically Alex Shane, who has not been heard of since um, the speaking um, yeah, I, I kind speaking of bit out. my tongue when you I kind of bit my tongue when you said, oh, Alex Shane was involved in this, and I was like, ah, Fucking hell. Well, he owned the company. We can't not talk about it. <laughs> but, you know, there's, 
you know one of those names that you forget about and then you hear it again and the alarm bell just sounds again. Yes. You're like, oh, fuck, I remember that guy. Yeah, you know, this is the thing. What can you do? To be fair, for if it, the Troopy Show would not have existed, it was a rally shame because I would not have got hired by WrestleTalk TV. Ben would not have asked me to do this show. So everything's affected by politics and wrestling and, and things that have happened in wrestling's past. Um, you know, that's part part of what goes on. Now the Troopy Show has not been involved with WrestleTalk for years and years and years. We don't even follow each other on the internet anymore. Um, well, I still follow WrestleTalk. They stopped following me. Um, and yeah, it's just, but that's that's unfortunate and it's horrible. And, you know, I have not spoken to Alex in five or six years. No. We all have, like, our wrestling horror stories from... We do. Those. That's the thing. Um, like, oh, yeah, I thought this person was a stand-up bloke. Turns out he's a cunt. Okay, um, goodbye. <laughs> well, you know... I knew of stories of Alex and, you know, as far as his business was concerned. So I was always like, had those in the back of my mind, but he was, I was always a stand-up guy with me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the things you find out later on are untrue. And I think that's the issue is like, you kind of have to go at these things with an open mind when other people have opinions and people you work with. Um, and that's the trouble, but that doesn't stop the fact that this show was important to the history of, FWA and Greg Lambert is a good guy and no one's cancelled him because he's a good guy and you know Greg worked for Power Slam Wrestling Magazine for years and years and years and that's the trouble it, it's an insidious wrestling business you know Dean to extremes Dean Allmark was this Brian Dixon's son-in-law <laughs> you know this is, everything's interconnected everything's interrelated that's the nature of the beast isn't it yeah, it always will be. Yeah. Also, so... that that kid really ate shit missing that frog splash. Yes, he did. He really did. Was it Chris Egan? Yeah, it was not a very nice landing by any means. No, no, true. Anyway, let's just move on. So the next one is a real kind of like... How can I put this? The... The guys involved, give you an example of where the British wrestling industry was at the time, Spud, as in rock star Spud, had just come back from a tour with Ring of Honor, arguably one of the biggest stars in British wrestling at the time. Um, but this is before he filled out, put weight on, and become more of a character-based wrestler and got over in Impact Wrestling and then the WWE. Um, five-star Flash, um, who, of course, who started off life as Mark Belton <laughs> in FWA, Um moved over to All-Star Wrestling because All-Star Wrestling saw something given and gave him a full-time job. Now, whether that's part of the angle of the entire show, but I think probably because he spent more time in All-Star Wrestling than he did in, in, in FWA, it was a happy coincidence. Um, so Five Star Flash uh, beat Spud in the opening Inter-Federation Cup match. What did you think of this one, Ben? Yeah, it's fine. It was pretty damn fun. And again, I love Spud. Always have done. He's a really sort of talented wrestler. I'd never really come across Five Star Flash good at being an asshole. It's, yeah, again, like, the pitfall I'm going to have describing these matches is they are all sort of exactly what you expect of British wrestling of this time period. It's, they're all very technically sound, very sort of competitive, very... 
like driven matches and they're yeah. all fine but what they do they're just really hard to describe like separately because it is a style and it is a style that is being replicated per like pretty damn well with each match yeah I but think obviously that's... sorry go for it i was gonna no, i was gonna say if there, if there was there's two real negatives about this show is no one stands out as a stylist at this time because a lot of these guys were still finding their style because they hadn't had enough ring time to, even though they were big stars within their relative companies, there's a reason why they all wrestle for AFM, they all wrestle for All-Star and they all wrestle for Frontier Wrestling Association was because they weren't really wrestling for anyone else and therefore the roundedness, they weren't as well-rounded as they could have been. Does that make sense? Like, given the time that they've wrestled, like, Dean Ormark is arguably one of the best technical wrestlers of the last 30 years. Now, but 13 years ago, though he was technically great, he didn't have the depth he does now. Like, you watch Dean on a, a Rev Pro show now, and he's retiring this year. Um, but he... This show, you're right, what I mean is, it's like... No one, everyone was great, but no one stood out because everyone was really good, which sounds horrible, doesn't it? But it's like everyone is perfectly technically sound, but it became, it, it was all very much, much of a muchness because of that. It's like it, like death by praise because they're all great at what they're trying to do, but they don't stand out enough to sort of hide yeah. the sort of androgyny of the style. Yeah. It's like you can all do the same thing really well. There's just only a couple of names that really manage to separate themselves through personality. Like Spud's obviously one of the best underdogs because he's getting the shit kicked out of him by Five Star Flash. Mm. Robbie Brookside is the ultimate shit talker. Stevie Knight is, again, ultimate underdog level going in with extra story. But there's just... It's like even Johnny Storm sort of... He's great here, but he was yeah. even better when I saw him in Leeds like three months ago yeah. as part of the ICW tour, where he went to war with Akira. And it was yeah. great. And he's 46 now, but he had a 10-year layoff. You know, he stopped wrestling for about 10 years because he went to do being a personal trainer and came back to wrestling, and all of a sudden he's massively in demand. But he's a better wrestler now because he's slowed down a little bit but he's built all his character work into what he's doing. You know, his character's not much different to what it was back then, but he's just better at it. And the same with him yeah. with Dean. So, okay. I was just going to say, I think, I'm pretty sure I've seen Johnny Storm twice, because I saw him years ago at a What Culture wrestling show where he teamed with Jordy Fleisch, where he was great. And then I yeah. saw him in Leeds a few months back, and he was even better then. It's like, these guys are all, like younger sort of still trying to establish as you said they're trying to establish themselves they're trying to find what works for them they're trying to make like characters out of it I mean, so yeah. it's great to watch like from a progression standpoint it's just harder to describe because obviously yeah there's a lot of repetition by different people yeah i mean dean's Dean's awesome. I love watching Dean Ormore wrestle. I watched Dean Ormore wrestle tree, and his technical expertise here is just outstanding. But it's not that different to Johnny Storm. And obviously, in All Star Wrestling, 
he's a baby face. So you've got two baby faces, even though Dean's a heel here because they're in All Star, because they're in FWA. So like, it, there's there's not enough separation between the two characters in this match necessarily. That's not to say it isn't a great wrestling match because it is. What I think holds this back match as well is the presentation. It's a two camera shoot, that's fine. And it's, but it's shot on all DV cameras and you can tell it's shot on all DV cameras and there's not enough light. And, you know, it, it was the early days of video production for wrestling, British wrestling companies. Cause we're, we're like, what? They, we're four, at this point, we're 18 years removed from ITV wrestling. But it still costs a lot of money to do these kind of productions to make DVDs of them. Whereas now, because everyone's got like a ring light to do like selfies with for Instagram, you could do such a better job now with a couple of Sony smart cameras and well, Sony SLRs. And you know, whereas back then, they because just because technology's moved on so much and you wouldn't need the lighting. You don't need lighting now because the cameras are so much better. Whereas back then they needed so much more light to make this work because everything on this looks really dark. Not to say it's badly shot. It isn't. It's presented within the limitations of what they had. It's actually pretty good, but it makes it difficult to, difficult to separate what the wrestlers are doing because there isn't enough production to really highlight what they're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I fully agree. It's... Like, this happens a lot when we review all the stuff. We're sort of like, oh, it's great, but the technical limitations mean you've either got to squint a little bit or you've just got to put up with some, like, lesser views. Yeah, I mean, I think as well is, like, um, like, you think about Glade, which is a two-camera shoot as well, but it's got modern cameras and modern sound and everything's crisp and looks really well presented on YouTube, whereas... YouTube was barely a thing when this happened and they couldn't run an entire show on YouTube because it was just like everything was 10 minute videos back then. Um, whereas, yeah, it, it's just, it, there's nothing wrong with this show and it's really good considering the limitations. But it, again, it, it's like you look back and we've just watched the FMW show and, you know, ECW and FMW were the masters of working with the limitations of what they got. And yeah, it's just, that's what's missing, I think. Maybe it's me. Yeah. Oh, he's watching the show. <laughs> no, no, I just saw someone on Twitter, and I'm like, well, I know what I'm suggesting for a future episode. Okay, then. We'll move on before we spoil things for the fans. Hayd Vanson, who was then your FWA heavyweight champion, British, undisputed British heavyweight champion, went up against Robbie Dynamite of uh, All-Star Wrestling. Robbie Dynamite was a devotee of the Dynamite Kid, which you could tell by his wrestling style. And this was probably one match where they did stand out from one another. I always liked Hayden Vance, and I thought he was really good as a heel, as a character. Um, and here he's kind of like um, being all for the FWA to banish the evil All-Star Wrestling uh, team. Um, and Robbie Dynamite is kind of like, fairly characterless as his dynamite presentation in, in the sense of like his character is very much I'm a straight wrestler um, and he's a very good wrestler and the way this match worked was better because dynamite was very much in the kind of Wigan British wrestling world whereas Vanson 
had much more of a, a well-rounded offense with a lot more kicks and a lot more kind of striking offense. So Styles make fights. So this one was probably the most watchable one of the cards so far. I think. What do you think of this? Yeah, I I think I agree. The styles meshed nicely. I I do wish someone with the name Dynamite was a bit more explosive, but I get what he's going for. Head Vanson's fine. I enjoyed his sort of more characterful stuff. Jesus, Spud. So we've not moved the video on in a while, and Spud's just like forearmed the shit out of Five Star Flash. We'll skip forward a bit on the video. It's because we got talking. Oh, we're on Hate Vanson versus Robbie Dynamite now. There's a lot of mat work in this match, which is fun. It's an interesting change of yeah. pace because the others went mats and mat based. And it takes a bit longer as well, but it's good. Um, this is one of those the first matches where you could see more of a like definition of each wrestler's style. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the last of the singles matches, which is Stevie Knight versus Robbie Brookside, who are arguably the two best workers on each team. Um, Stevie Knight's from Grimsby, Robbie Brookside's from Liverpool. Natural enemies. <laughs> Actually, yeah, anyone who's from Liverpool is an enemy. Well, arguably anyone from Grimsby is an enemy. Um, there was, I think that was the that was the year Grimsby went to Anfield and won one. No, it was the following year because they won the Africa player. Grimsby went to Anfield and beat Liverpool one 0 at Anfield. Grimsby, who were in the third division at that particular point, beat Liverpool one 0 at Anfield. <laughs> In the FA Cup, and the, at the pub in the Britannia, there was a framed photo of the Grimsby Town team from that particular season. Um, with like, I shall have had heat, yeah. So, um, yeah, Stevie Knight, I've seen, I saw wrestle around that time because he was wrestling in Brig. I wrestled him, so he wrestled Jody Fleisch in Brig, pulling up at the leisure center there. Uh, Robbie Brookside, you know, as he described himself, old man Brookside coming to sort things out for all star wrestling. Lifelong friend of Robbie of Brian Dixon was the ideal person to try to sell this narrative that FWA was an imposter promotion that used all used American ideas. I like Stevie Knight a lot. He was a really good interviewer as well. He does a really great podcast called The Nighttime Podcast. If you want to go listen to it, fortunately he blocked me on Twitter for whatever reason I do not know. Um, but there you go. Um, I think. Sorry. Competition. <laughs> I don't think it was that. I think I accidentally tagged him in a in a chain in the, a chain um, tweet that exploded, and I had to apologise to him. But then I picked him from it. But after that, I got blocked. So I don't know what that was all about. Anywho, um, but yeah, um, Robbie Brookside is outstanding, just outstanding. And Stevie Knight is really, really good. And this bout is all about Brookside just trying to take uh, Stevie Knight apart and Knight not wanting to give in. Um, in the end, they go for a double count-out, which means that FWA are um, just ahead as they go into the final match. But what did you think of this particular match? Yeah, this was really enjoyable to me, mainly because Robbie Brookside is just an utter twat. <laughs> He's, like, really going in on, like, Knight's knee. He's shit-talking the entire time. And, yeah, the pair of them just they clearly have more of a repertoire than most of the other guys in the tournament and it shows. So they've got like the most complete match. They're telling a proper story. They've obviously got the stakes of the tournament and yeah, they go to a double count out without it feeling like some forced 
oh, we must protect everyone type of deal. Instead, it's just, oh, these two guys got that preoccupied beating the shit out of each other that the clock got away from them. Yeah. I mean, you can also tell by the groundedness of both of them, Stevie Knight, wrestled all over the British circuit, wrestled on that international circuit that was kind of the off-TV international circuit, blessing in big shows in Africa and Singapore and the Far East, and Robbie Brookside. on the He was a guy who would go to the catch wrestling tournaments in, in Bremen. He was a guy who he'd wrestled. He did a best of super juniors with Doc Dean. He'd wrestled for WCW at this point. You know, he was, I think he'd wrestled for WWF at this point as well. Um, he he'd done it all in pro wrestling at this particular point, and obviously goes on in the end to work at the performance center as a trainer because he he would when he got out of this he founded WrestleWester and became a wrestling teacher, um, which is still there and still producing stars in the British wrestling industry to this day. Um, and Stevie Knight, like I said, ambassador for British wrestling. Um, so they, they are very important to the history of British wrestling, and this match is very much about the history of British wrestling and the all-star approach versus the FWA approach. But the more you watch this show, you realise, like, there wasn't much difference between all-star and FWA because it's still that shall I kind of attitude in this match because that's what sells to a British audience. This isn't, you know, these matches aren't complete work-rate matches because they're kind of after that crowd interaction all the time and they've set up a narrative that's all about crowd interaction. That doesn't mean, you know, when they did the shows with Noah and, you know, I'm looking at the list down the side and there's like Noah limits too because Yone's on that particular card as well because they did an entire interpromotion into promotional match to a card with Noah where they had the two of their rookie guys who weren't actually from Noah on that show. Anyway, well, they were, did only just start with Noah at that particular point. Um, there's there's all sorts of things like that in the sense of like the actual British wrestling audience still wanted things a certain way and there's a lot more of that than you would have thought of in FWA the, ra- the work rate company if you see what I mean compared to All Star Wrestling who were supposedly the entertainment company even though you know that work rate stuff kind of started in all-star wrestling a lot of the time with Mark Rocco and uh, Chip Cullen and those guys. Just a thought. Lay it out there. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, everything is fine. I, again, it's it's just all a blur, isn't it? I said, well, again, because it's Is dark. <laughs> I love that you can give all these like really in-depth explanations and stuff, and I'm just they're like, yeah, it was all right. Like, <laughs> I, I think I was losing it by the sort of final. I was just like, yeah, it's it just all became too like androgynous a blur for me. I think that's the thing though is like the actual styles like at the time, what FWA was doing was wrestling blasphemy, but you look back at it twenty years, well, thirteen years later, and it's like. They're not that much different, are they? No, it's it's this essentially what modern British wrestling is. It's just there's a bit more flair to it than there is here. Because because the guys have got more experience, the production values are better. It's cheaper to make better production. Um, and you know, there's nice story twists at the end, like Vade Hansen, Vade Hansen turning on the FWA and abandoning his teammates. Is a nice little twist in it. 
Um, Katarina turning babyface to go and support the rest of the FWA. That's uh, the Hay Vanson's manager. He was actually a bigger star than Hay Vanson. I don't know what happened to Hay Vanson. I'll be honest. Um, he did seven years from 2001 to 2008, and he wrestled for FWA. And uh, he he was he, he moved to Florida champion. He did Florida championship wrestling, so he, he got signed by WWE in the end. He must have done to go to Florida Championship Wrestling. He did work for All Star. He did work for FWA. He had some tours in Japan. Um, oh no, he did no. That was, that was the wrong logo. <laughs> German Wrestling Federation, Future Shock, Premier Promotions. That's the UK Playhouse WrestleFest, Hearts and Essex Wrestling, LDN. That's London, um, International Wrestling Association. And then he went to Florida Championship Wrestling in 2007. And obviously, you know, to time he got into the WWE developmental system because that Florida Championship Wrestling was developmental territory back then. And everything just stopped. So I don't know what happened to him. But I thought he was really good. And, and he Rob- seemed like someone that, like, would go far enough. Yeah, but I think he was the wrong kind of... It was the wrong era for, like... British heavyweights at the time in the sense of you know you think of someone like Paul Birchall as another one as well who's an FWA kind of guy who went nowhere in WWE because Vince <laughs> and like and the, the thing is and a lot of it was scale like Paul Birchall was huge in a UK ring but he was kind of like just a bit taller than average in a, an American ring mm. And that's the, that was another thing as well. It's like you know, he he would do. It was a huge guy who could do a standing moonsault, and like no one had ever seen anything like it in the UK. However, you standing next to Brock Lesnar, he just looks like an ordinary guy, and Brock Lesnar could do his moonsault as well. So you know, that's where you are, isn't it? But yeah, what what was your thoughts overall on this particular show? That was fine. Like it. There's a good, there's some fun to be had with this. It's a nice little time capsule. It's fun to see where people are now versus where they were here. And, like, it's not, the style isn't bad. Like, I know it sounds like I'm trying to hammer as many nails into its coffin as I can. It's it's a decent style that's stood the test of time. It's just, when it's all you're seeing, with very little variety, it just gets very stale very quickly. And especially when you're watching it under, like, cheap lighting on rickety cameras. It... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it... there's there's something missing. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, I mean, to be fair, FWA was a company that lasted for quite some time. Uh, let me have a look. How long did they last for in the end? FWA, they ran from 1993 to 2012. Um, did some big shows and they had some big stars. The owners were Elisa Cabrera and Mark Sloan. Mark Sloan founded the company in 1993. He ran it to 2007 um, and then sold out. And I think Alex Shane and, um, uh, like I said, Greg Lambert ran it for quite some time. Um, and yeah, no, it was good. It, it was a good company. Like we said, the weren't keen on the management necessarily. <laughs> oh, Craig's all right. Um, but yeah, and, and they were there was some good quality stuff going on in this particular show. But again, like you said, a product of its time. 
But some of those people have been a massive influence in pro wrestling all around the world. You know, um, Dino still going. Like we said, this is retirement year. He's wrestled in Japan from Chinoku Pro. He wrestled in the States. He wrestled for Impact Wrestling because All Star was the talent swap company with Impact Wrestling uh, with the Wrestling World Cup. Robbie Brookside went there as well. Like we said, Robbie Brookside, massively influential wrestler as far as uh, training is concerned in Europe and North America. So, yeah. And Rockstar Sport became the biggest name of all. Sorry? One of the people in the opening match is still going strong as well. Ollie Burns is Priscilla, Queen of the Ring. There you go. (laughs) It takes all kinds to go in all sorts of places in professional wrestling. Right then, we'll have to say that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening to us next week. Well, it's got to be Forbidden Door, hasn't it? We'll see who is free to talk about that particular show. Is there anything you'd like to add, John, before you leave? And where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is the gateway to hell that will lead you to all my writings, ramblings, opinions. You can find me at John underscore Deathman on Instagram, which is essentially the same, but with more pictures. And if you are feeling particularly curious, you can find me on Patreon at the Deathmatch Digest, where you will find twice weekly deathmatch write-ups on famous, not so famous, weird and wonderful deathmatches, going into massive detail on who they are, what they would, what they did, stories, you name it, and obviously free reviews, roundups, and everything in between. Yes, you can find me at Sheriff Lonestar on Twitter, Sheriff Lonestar on TX on. Um... Uh, Instagram, you can find us on Mastodon, I'm sure if I'm on social over there, you can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter and on Instagram as Troopany Show, you can find us uh, on Facebook and Patreon as The Troopany Show um, you can keep us free forever for everyone on Patreon every week we have a Discord as well Troopany Show podcast, uh, you can find us everywhere really, um, build our audience get us more followers that aren't bots that would be lovely and like we said, go to 3W, uh, uh, 2W Wrestling, 3W Wrestling, Worldwide Wrestling. That's us. Go see us there on our social media as we try to build our audience. All right, take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye.